If you'll open your Bible to the book of Numbers, and if you're not a regular Wednesday nighter, what we're doing for several weeks this summer, we, we have this little series on lessons we learn in the wilderness. And, you know, as you read the book of Numbers, of course, you're reading about the children of God as they're on their journey from their Egyptian bondage to the promised land. And in that long journey, they encountered challenges, hardships, difficulties, and of course, they're out in the desert. Remember, when we read in the Bible about the people of God in the wilderness, it's talking literally about a desert. And I think this series has turned out to be better than I really thought it would be, and I'll tell you why I think that. It is so timely. It is so practical. I'm going to preach a sermon the first Sunday in August. God has put this on my heart several weeks ago, and I've I've been praying about it and working about it. But I I want to preach a sermon about uh, the mystery of suffering, like why bad things happen to good people. And I wrote in my paragraph in the bulletin for this Sunday that in the last couple of years, especially, not just the pandemic, that's been another wilderness and is, but in our church family, there have been some of our very finest members, good people, that have really had what we'd say are just bad things happen. Now, that didn't just start two years ago. I mean, I look around tonight and and I've already seen families that years ago, you know, went through some really hard things. And they're some of the most faithful people I've ever known. The question is, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, it is the age-old mystery. It's called the mystery of suffering, pain and suffering. And what I want to do, I want us to see, does the Bible have anything to say that would help us better understand the mystery of why, as believers, we can still go through the same difficult things that even non-believers go through. So that's coming up Sunday week. Now, that kind of fits into where we are, and I just love it. Now, last Wednesday night, if you look in Numbers, you're in Numbers chapter 12, but let's go back just a moment in Numbers chapter 11. Last week, John's Bible study really was Numbers chapter number 11. And the, you know, and the big deal in that chapter is that the, the Israelites, the children of God, they got tired of manna and they wanted some meat. If you look in chapter 11, we'll just kind of refresh ourselves as we uh, go on in verse 6. Chapter 11, verse 6 says, but now our whole being is dried up. They're complaining. There's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Then if you look down in verse 13, it says, where am I? Moses is talking, and he says, where am I to give, uh, to get meat to give to all these people? For they weep all over me, saying, give, give us meat that we may eat. And then, of course, uh, they got that meat. Uh, God, God sent quail. If you look down in verse 31, it's a very, very interesting verse. It says, now wind went out from the Lord and brought in quail from the sea and left them fluttering near the camp about a day's journey on this side and about a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp, and about two cubits, which would be about 50 bushels. Can you imagine this? Above the surface of the ground. And the people strayed 
up and they stayed up and down that day and night and all the next day and gathered the quail. And he who gathered least gathered 10 homers. Here's the 50 bushels. And they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. Well, it didn't turn out too good. If you look in verse 35, but while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord aroused against the people. And the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. Look in verse 34. So he called the name of that place Kibroth Hadavah because there they buried the people who had yielded to the craving. Not all the people, but there buried many of the people that had craved, saying, look, we, we're not happy with what we have. That was really John's theme, and it was a good and a very timely theme. Now, when, when that ended, if you look in verse 35, it says, now from Kibroth Hadavah, the people moved to Hazaroth and camped at Hazareth. And that gets us to chapter number 12, where we are. Now, when we come to chapter number 12, and this is, we're talking about wilderness time, show us the good and the bad. In other words, when we're going through hard things in life, the good really becomes obvious. Our faith, it's good. And the bad, our faith, it's not very good. It, it comes to the obvious. Others see it. In fact, I've never thought of it this way until I've been praying and working on my sermon for the first Sunday in August. You know, suffering for some people may be the ministry God has given them. I've never thought much about that, but lately then, but as I, as a pastor, as I interact with people that are really going through just unbelievable things, and I hope to close tonight with one little illustration of that if time lets me do so. But their faith kind of becomes their ministry, how they respond and react to all that. Now, when we come to chapter number 12, in these first two verses, something very, very interesting. It says, then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. Now, remember, these are siblings. Miriam some scholars say was probably uh, seven years older. Others say five years older, but you know, either. She's the older. And Aaron, who was about three years older than Moses. So here they are, Miriam and Aaron. They spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. Now, if you have some of the other translations. I think the New Living talks about uh, Cush. Well, it, it's talking about the same place. Okay. Now, so they're, they're complaining. Uh, they're, they're saying, you know, this, we, we don't agree with what you've done. So they said, and then here comes a second, here comes a second complaint. It's very, very, we have a marriage objection. Now in verse two, we're going to have a leadership objection. So they, they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now, we have a marriage objection and we have a leadership objection coming from what? The older sister and the older brother. Now, Miriam is the instigator of this. Now, they're, they're kind of both together. And you say, well, how, how do we know that Miriam was the instigator? Well, one hint, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't win if a jury were going to try it, but one, one way we would know, 
that it probably is that way, but I'm going to show you a way we know it's absolutely that way. Uh, she's mentioned first. Now, that'd be a weak case, but it's a case. Her name here appears first, whereas in the Bible, normally the man's name appears first, but here, Miriam. So that's, that's the deal. But now, there, there's a better way we know that than that. In the New King James, we have the word spoke. Miriam, Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. Now, in, in, in the English language, verbs have no gender. Like a verb is not masculine, a verb is not feminine. The gender is just neutral. That's English. In the Hebrew language, verbs have genders. Now listen very carefully. When you look in Numbers chapter 12, verse 1, the Hebrew verb that is translated into English is in the feminine form. And in Hebrew, when you conjugate the verbs with the subject, you then know what, whether the subject was talking about is feminine or, or, or masculine. And so when you do that, you know without a shadow of a doubt, and I'm not picking on ladies tonight, I'm just simply saying, in this case, Miriam is the instigator. Now, that's not letting Aaron off the hook. He's kind of with her. But she's the spokesperson in this deal, making these accusations. And then I think another way we would know is if you look down in verse number 10, uh, she, she's the one that, that, that incurred the judgment of God. She, she all at once has leprosy. Uh, Aaron did not have leprosy. So I think when we put all that together, you know, I, I mean, I wouldn't build my... We wouldn't want to build our salvation experience on that. But I think as we study the Bible, I want to encourage you. As you study the Bible, listen, one of the best things you can do is think. Like, just think. Have time to think. I say to John, and he agrees, and he says to me, and I agree, some of the best sermon preparation we do is when we've done our homework We've studied our words. We've studied the context. We, we've, we've gathered all that together. But then when you get all that together, you have time to think about what you're going to be preaching, what you're going to be teaching. Now, in our day and time of our uh, microwave lifestyle, we don't have a lot of time just to think. But I'm telling you, the difference, I believe that the difference between a really good sermon and just a pretty good sermon is how much time the preacher had to think about what he's going to be saying as you think. And you, you need to do that as you just read the Bible. Ask yourself questions like, you know, why this and why that? And many times it will open the door to exactly what you're looking for. Now, here's, here's one of the things that I think is very important as we look in these first two verses. And that is with, why was there a marriage objection? You know, what is the big deal? Look at it in verse 1. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses saying, because of this Ethiopian woman you've married, for he has married an Ethiopian woman, they criticize. Now, now what, what is the situation here? Well, now, you have to, th here's, here's the deal, think again. Now, let's think about Moses. Now, this woman is not identified in this verse other than an Ethiopian woman. So we know she's not an Israelite. But remember, 
Back in the book of Exodus, you remember the story where, where Moses killed the Egyptian, you know that? And he dug a little grave and hid him under the sand. And then the next day he was found out and he heard that Pharaoh had heard about it. And he fled to Midian. You remember that? And when he got over in Midian, it's the most interesting story. He obviously, which that's like 400 and something miles. That's a good little walking journey. So when he gets to Midian, he's tired and thirsty. And you remember what he did? He sat down by a well. Y'all are staring at me like you've never heard this story. Would y'all just do this a little bit like, yeah, this is one of our favorite Bible stories. He sits down by a well and these women come up who have come to the well to draw water. And you remember these, these shepherds, they started kind of chasing them away. And Moses got up and defended the women and actually drew water for them and gave them the war they needed and watered their camels. I always, when I read that story, I think about, you know, Moses sat down by a well to get water and he wound up getting a wife. You know the end of the story? Well, she goes back with her sisters and Jethro, who also in the Bible is named Ruel, but Jethro, her uh, Zipporah's father, asked her, how did y'all get back so quickly? And she said to her father, well, there was a man, and she told what he had done and drew all the water for us, and here we are. And he said, well, why didn't you invite the man here to stay and have a meal with us? Go back and get him, and they did. And the end of the story, Jethro finally gives Moses his daughter Zipporah, and she becomes his wife. Now, I mentioned that to say this. There are those there are those commentaries that you'll read, not many, but some that will suggest that this Ethiopian woman is, uh, is that same woman. Uh, well, I, I'm not, you know, I, I, I personally don't believe that. And the reason I don't believe that, remember, at this point, he and uh, Zipporah would have been married about 40 years. So it seems strange to me that Miriam, after maybe about a 40-year marriage, would begin to complain that he had married her. So I think it's a different woman. Scripture doesn't tell us, but I think she had died. Now, I remember this, I just said, I'm, I think that. I can't, I can't prove that. But at the same time, nobody could prove she hadn't died either. But as you think about the whole context of this, here they are being critical. Now, the question is, why, and, you know, why would they be critical of that marriage? Well, one reason would be, you say, well, she, whoever this woman is, she was not an Israelite. Well, uh, Zipporah was not an Israelite. Uh, Jethro, <laughs> Jethro and his family weren't Israelites. They were Midianites. So that'd be, that, that wouldn't be a very good reason. Now, I think perhaps, let's say it's just a new wife, who I think that is the case. Maybe Miriam feared that this new wife would have influence over Moses that would diminish some of her influence. That's just, a, you know, for some reason she criticized. Now, uh, then I thought of this. Perhaps she just didn't like her. That may be the whole truth. I mean, like, don't you sometimes 
hear things like this in family circles. I just don't like her. Well, maybe that's the case. I don't know. But whatever the case is, uh, she's being very critical of this woman. So she's got a marriage criticism. Well, not only that, uh, that she, she has a leadership criticism. In verse 2, she's complaining, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us also? Here's a, here's a kicker. And the Lord heard him. Folks, I want to remind you tonight, God hears everything we say. But not only that, God hears everything we think and don't say. That's the scary part. I, you know, I, I remind myself of that sometimes. You know, God knows what I just thought. Well, the Lord heard him. And uh, now, why are they objecting? Well, it could be uh, several things. But let's just pick up in verse 3 and read a little bit. Now, the man Moses was very humble more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. Now make a mark by that verse. I'm going to be back to that verse in just a moment and talk about it, but let's read on. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out you three into the tap to the tabernacle of meeting. So the three came out. Then the Lord came down in the pillow of cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle. Now watch this. And called Aaron and Miriam. Moses is not in this audience now. It's down to these two. He called Aaron and Miriam, and they both went forward. And then God said to them, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. I speak with him face to face even plainly and not in dark sayings. And he sees the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So the anger of the Lord was aroused against them, that is Miriam and Aaron. And he departed, God departed. And when the cloud departed from above the tabernacle, look at this, suddenly Miriam became leprous as white as snow. Then Aaron turned toward Miriam, and there she was a leper. So younger brother now is looking at his sister, and she's a leper. Now look what Aaron did. Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, please do not lay this sin on us in which we have done foolishly, in which we have sinned. Please do not let her be as one dead whose flesh is half consumed when he comes out of his mother's womb. Now look what happens in verse 13. Very, very interesting verse. It says, so Moses cried out to the Lord saying, please heal her, O God, I pray. Then the Lord said to Moses, if, if her father had but spit in her face, would she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut out of the camp seven days, and afterwards she may be received again into the camp. Now watch this. Miriam was shut out of the camp seven days, and the people did not journey till Miriam was brought again into the camp. And afterward, the people moved from Hazareth, and they camped in the wilderness of Paran. Well, that's a very, very interesting portion of Scripture. Now, you know, the question in my mind is like, why, why is she critical of his, of his leadership? Well, um, I, I, think, I think there's several little possible reasons for that. I just mentioned you might want to jot them down. 
First of all, Miriam, now remember, she was a prophetess. You, you may want to write this down, but back in Exodus chapter 15, in verse 20, Exodus chapter 15, verse 20, you read about the same woman, Miriam, and the Bible gives her the title, she was a prophetess. Now, if she's the first woman in the Bible that's given the title prophetess. And now the Bible tells us some other prophetess. I won't go into all of them because of time's sake, but there are four or five other women in the Bible that are designated as prophetess. And it's interesting, each one of them had somewhat of a different work to do for God that he gave them to do. You know, each one's work was different. As you read about Miriam, uh, these prophets, all of them, they were spokespersons for God. That's what they did. And, and what Miriam did, as you study her, she called the Israelites to celebrate their deliverance from Egyptian bondage. That was, that was kind of the assignment that God gave her. Well, the other prophetess, as you read about in the Bible, Deborah and, and uh, uh, Hulda and Isaiah's wife and uh, Anna in the New Testament. And then Philip had four daughters. They're, they're, they're called prophetess. So it could be that she felt like, hey, God has given me the title of a prophetess. He's given me that ministry. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like God would speak to us just like God would speak to Moses. That might be it. Or, or it could be, if you go back in chapter uh, 11, we won't have time to read it again, but you might want to mark the verses, verses 16, 17, about these 70 elders that God's told Moses, I'm going to take the spirit that is on you and, and give that very same spirit to them. And they're going to have a work to do. And it may be that she felt threatened by these 70 elders. That's just, that's just something to think about and deal with. Now, if on your bulletin, let, let, let's, do, let's do this uh, and see kind of how we can handle it. Let's write down life lesson. I think there's a life lesson in all of this. And I think it's a good life lesson. And, and, here, and here's really what it is. During wilderness times, our spiritual strengths and our spiritual weaknesses become obvious. And indeed, they do. And, you know, in everything about this chapter illustrates that in a very special way. Now, let's talk quickly about the strengths and weaknesses of these three siblings. First of all, let's just deal with, with Miriam's. You know, what, what, what are her weaknesses? Well, first of all, she was critical. Second, she was jealous. <laughs> and, and, and third, she delayed God's plan. As, as you go back and look at it, read those verses. In fact, in verses one and two, I think we see the critical part, obviously. And then the jealousy part, whether she was jealous of the 70 elders or jealous of this new wife or whatever she was jealous. Maybe she's jealous of Moses thinking, hey, God speaks to me just like God speaks to him. Why did you choose him to be the spokesman? Uh, now, a thing you may have not you may miss unless you think about it, and it's another weakness, her sin delayed God's plan. Now you think about that a moment and make an application to your life, my life. If we have unconfessed sin in our life, it's going to delay what God has planned to do in our life and through our life. Till we get that dealt with. 
Now that's frightening, but think of this. Let's think of it like in the church. I think of it often. We pray people will be saved. We pray the, the Spirit of God will just come down. And, and then I wonder sometimes when we get in the building, you got all these people in the building. How many people in the building living lives they shouldn't live, doing things they shouldn't do? Unconfessed sin? Well, if, if that's the kind of church you have, and you have very much of that, it, it's going to be a hindrance to God doing what God wants to do because sin. And so, you know, I, I, don't, wanna, I don't wanna do anything that would, would prevent God's plan for his church because of me, nor do you. And I see that as I see this about, it's the very end of those verses we read about when she got back in the camp, then they moved on to what God had next planned for them. Now let's talk about Aaron's strengths. What are they? Well, he had respect for spiritual authority. God had appointed Moses as the spiritual authority. And Miriam and Aaron were having a hard time with that in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, especially verse 2. One of Aaron's strengths, he admitted their sin in verse 11. That's always a strength. Hardest thing in the world to say, I'm wrong. I am wrong. Sometimes I'll hear God is seldom is she ever wrong. But about something then, I don't remember what it was. She said, I'm wrong. I said, you know, I don't hear real well. Would you say that more loudly? And, you know, what'd you say? I heard what she said. Well, she said, well, what, do you ever admit you're wrong? I made like I didn't hear and just went on about my business. You know, we all have a hard time saying, you know, that's just hard to say it. I just want to, I'm, I'm wrong. But we're all wrong. Well, he, he, he admitted that. And then he had compassion. He had he had compassion for his sister. He saw her condition. So I think that's a, you know, in our life, if we're going through a hard thing, and yet in the midst of what we're going through, we have compassion about what's going on in the lives of others. Boy, that's a, that's a great quality. That says a lot about a person. Well, what about Moses' strength? Well, number one, quickly, uh, he, he, uh, he did not react. That's an interesting thing. In, in verse 1, had somebody in my family criticized my Marindotti, I think I would have not handled that quite this well. I'd hate to think what I would have done. That was back in my days before I'd matured at all. And I'm still in the process of maturing. But he didn't react. And then in verse 2, criticizing his leadership, he didn't say a word. He didn't react. I, I think there's a, I think there's a, you know, have you ever thought about this? You can control your actions, but your reactions sometimes control you. Have you ever thought about that? Like if I, if I know something, I, I can kind of control it. If I know up front, I can kind of control it. But it lets something catch me blindsided. Or in life, something all of a sudden like the sky falls, somebody, something happens in your family, it's like a rug's pulled out from under you, then the, the very next thing, you react to that. 
Well, we learn a great lesson from the life of, of Moses. Uh, he, 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 did a, he did a good job with that. And then number two, his humility. Like in verse three, now remember, he wrote this book. He, he wrote, Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, until you come to almost the end of Deuteronomy, and then he died. And then you got a few more verses. Now, a dead man doesn't write verses. So as a little child, I was taught Moses wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay, he did. He was a writer, except when you come to the, probably, probably Joshua finished. If you read the, read the little verses after his death, and it said God buried him, and no one knows to this day where he's buried. I remember the year we went to Petra with our group. Now we had, we over in Jordan, <laughs> had this Jordanian guy. He probably didn't know who God was. And he pointed to our group and said, now, right down there, we don't have time to go. But that's where Moses is buried, right there. And I didn't want to contradict the God, but I thought, friend, only God knows where he buried Moses. The Bible says so. We don't know where he, but we know he was up on Mount Demo. We know, we know where he was. We don't know the spot he was. Well, now, we get down here to this thing where he's, he's bragging on himself. Now, you know, if a man's humble, it's probably hard to figure out he's going to write a thing saying, I'm humble. Remember this. God is the author of the Bible. He used men to be writers. You with me? So really... <laughs> You know, we talk about, did this person write this? He, Moses wrote that because the Holy Spirit told him to write that. It helps me as I read the Bible. Remember, the author is God. Holy men were writers that God chose, and he directed them. So he was a humble man. And then he was faithful. And down in verse 7, if you look again, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. And then he cried out to God in, in verse number 13. Now, we're going to, we've got three minutes, and we'll, we'll wrap it up in three minutes. Okay, how we respond, I wrote this down, to wilderness times is an opportunity to show the difference that God makes. Now, that's true. Now, on August 1st Sunday... I'm going to preach a sermon, as I mentioned, about the mystery of suffering. And I'll piggyback off of a little part of this lesson here. How we respond in wilderness times is an opportunity to show the difference God makes. And I thought about this in the last days. And today I sent a text to Jennifer Cowles, Dr. Cowles' wife, Jennifer. And I said, Jennifer, I'm going to be doing a Bible study tonight and especially a sermon the first Sunday in August. And I'm talking about how we respond in difficult times. Says a great deal about how the difference God makes. And I said, would I have your permission to use you and your situation as an illustration, yet would not go into any of the details. Now, I say that to say this. She wrote me back real quickly and said, you have my permission to share anything you want to share 
you give whatever detail you want to give. But here, here's the bottom line. I've got a minute and I'll tell it and stop. You remember, uh, it was 2020, was it not, John? 2020? Yeah. The day after Christmas, 2020, Dr. Cowles, Jennifer, and their three children were on their way to Branson for vacation. And something happened, and he evidently had a heart attack. We don't know that. But the car goes over down a cliff and hits this huge rock boulder. And the end of that story is it took his life. It just really physically was Jennifer nowhere near getting over all that. And then the sons, two of them with injuries, one better than the other two. But okay, a few weeks ago, Christopher, which is their son, the others are adopted, 15 years old, just perfect specimen of a 15-year-old. In the weight room, something goes wrong, and it is bad. He's already been through two surgeries, and he's got a long way to go. And we pray that all of what's been done will work. Now, I share that, and I'll say more on that first. But here, here's the deal. Through this whole thing, we've stayed, we were very close to Charles. We've, and our church has reached out and loved and all that. But, but I, I, I've, I've been just unbelievably blessed seeing how a woman could have something like that happen to her husband and now her son. And yet, I'll just say this, Jennifer Cowles shows the difference that God can make in wilderness times as much as anybody I've ever seen. And I thought, boy, does it not, the difference God makes. I want you to bow with me tonight. Father, this is a timely, it's a great chapter in the book of Numbers. And God, most of us in this room tonight have been through some wilderness times. Some tonight, God, are in wilderness times now. But Lord, the fact is, if we will just keep our faith in you, remember the strengths of Moses. And God, help those to be our strengths. No matter what comes, may our life, God, I pray for my own life. I pray more than any sermon that I've ever preached in all these years, I pray, God, that the thing I would be remembered would not be by sermons or by buildings or by raising money and all those things. God, may my life be an example of the difference that you can make in a person's life. Don't let sin hinder me from doing that. And Lord, I pray that for Dottie, pray it for John, pray it for Joel, pray it for Jody. I pray for our little grandchildren. I pray for everybody in this room tonight and everybody that's watching. God, help us to see the hard times as opportunities to show the difference that you can make. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.